Matthew chapter 6, and this evening we're looking at verses 5 through verse 15. So Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 5, listen now to the reading of God's holy word. And when you pray, you should not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Seek the Lord's blessing on this, His holy word. O gracious God in heaven, we again rejoice and give thanks to you for the great blessing that your word is to us, the great gift it is how you have revealed yourself in a most intimate way through your word. And Father, we thank you that as we come to this passage, as we consider this topic of prayer, that your spirit would truly give us understanding and that the truth we discover would be truly applied to our own hearts and strengthen us and encouraging us in our walk of faith. We pray all these things as in your blessing upon your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Prayer is one of the greatest gifts that God has given to us in order to strengthen and encourage us in our journey of faith. And such a gift, and it is such a great gift, and yet it's often one that is either misused or underused. That is, people often pray in the wrong manner or with the wrong attitudes and motives, or they simply don't pray as often as they should. And of course this is, and we're not talking about people in general, but even within uh, the church, even Christians uh, struggle with these things. But of course even if we are diligent in prayer, again when we, as we considered with love this morning, it's certain that we can always improve our prayers and help them to be both edifying to us and more glorifying of the Lord. And so in this next message of our Back to the Basics communion series, this evening we're going to consider the what, the why, and the how of prayer by looking at the context and the form of the most familiar prayer in the Bible, the the prayer which Jesus taught his disciples to pray, what we call the Lord's Prayer. And to begin with, we want to first address the question 
what is prayer? And now there are a few different uh, perspectives on what constitutes prayer. Well, many people view prayer as, as a way to get what they want. Right? They say, Lord, I, I want this and this and this and this. It's kind of like they're, they're filling out a, uh, items for a, a gift registry. But God isn't Santa Claus, nor is he an ATM machine that will give you what you want on demand. Those who approach God in prayer like this often believe that somehow God actually owes them whatever it is that they want. Because of this, they're encouraged to name whatever they want and then go ahead and claim it. All in the name of the Lord. But when you think about it, this is more akin to just simply making demands or even bullying God than it is prayer. Well, others see prayer as uh, just merely a religious ritual or duty that they must perform, maybe a certain uh, number of times each day or maybe at set times throughout the day. They pray the same prayers repeatedly and may even have them memorized. But if you ask them what they're praying about, many won't even really know because it's just become a, a hollow routine and it's meaningless to them. They're just going through the motions, saying words without any heartfelt meaning. Now, Maybe they were taught as children to pray, and, and they continue to pray into adulthood, but they really don't know why. It may not even make any noticeable difference in their lives, as it's simply something they do out of habit. Or they falsely think that as long as they can just check that prayer box off on their daily to-do list, well, then everything will go well for them. But this treats prayer more like a good luck charm than being something truly effectual and that accomplishes great things. Similarly, the, there are those who see prayer as a quick fix remedy in, in times of crisis. <clears throat> and it's something that you, you do only when you need help. These have no established routine or pattern of prayer. But when they're in a bind, they pray. And they expect God will not only hear them, but answer them according to their own will and desire, rather than His. But prayer is none of these. Prayer, true prayer, is something much deeper and fulfilling and actually draws us further into fellowship with God. Prayer is a gift which God has given to us so that we can communicate with Him. Right? God communicates with us by His Spirit uh, through His Word, but we communicate to God through prayer. Prayer then brings us into God's presence as we boldly come before the throne of grace. Now there's an aspect here of fellowship and relationship. When you talk with someone... You're engaging them in a relationship. Of course, this can be a relationship on a, on a different level. So it can be superficial or a deeper, more personal level. And some, as we have mentioned before, engage only in the superficial level when they talk with God. But God wants us to engage Him on the deeper, more personal level. And prayer is the vehicle that He has given to us in order to do that. And so God draws near to us 
when we pray. The, the Psalms, and we sang one earlier there in Psalm 61, frequently speak of God inclining His ear or, or giving His ear to the prayers of His people. And it, it gives you this image of the Lord God, the Creator of heaven and earth, bending down and, and lowering His ear to hear the whispered prayer of the lowly creature. Now though this language is quite figurative, it's actually a, a picture of the very real desire that God has for us that we might be in fellowship with Him, and that we might draw closer to Him. So true prayer is fellowship with God. This is certainly a great incentive to pray, and to pray often, that we might enrich our lives by drawing nearer to God. But why else should we pray? Especially when we consider verse 8 here, where Jesus says, For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. So again, if God already knows what we need before we ask, doesn't that seem to be rendering prayer as just a meaningless, meaningless hollow ritual? Well, Christian answer is no. Look at verse 7, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that you, they will be heard for their many words. And so Jesus is here comparing the vain repetitions of the Gentiles to true faithful prayer. But what's the difference? Well, the Gentiles' prayer is offered to false gods and idols. So in Psalm 115 we read, They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, and they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. In other words, they have to repeat the same prayer over and over again in the hopes that their idol gods will hear them. But of course, they have ears, but they don't hear because their ears are fashioned by the hands of men. And so in reality, the prayers that are offered are just vain, meaningless repetitions lifted up for nothing, and they won't be answered. Not only do their gods not hear, but they also have no power to act upon the prayers and answer them. So praying to something that is dead and lifeless obviously is not going to get you very far at all. But Jesus emphasizes to his disciples that they're to pray to the one true living God, the God who is all-powerful and all-knowing. God is omniscient, so we're able to trust and believe that He already knows what our needs are, even before we express them. God is omniscient, and so we're able to trust and believe that He already knows what our needs and our concerns are. And so, even if we didn't pray... Well, then God would know what we need, and because of His grace and mercy, He'll provide for us. Now, certainly we have seen this uh, in our lives. God provides you with something that, that you never prayed for, but it was something that you certainly needed. And God provided it. He knows your needs better than you do. So what an awesome and powerful God we have and serve who cares for us in such an amazing way. Well, if this is the case then, 
Well, why are we to pray? Couldn't we just uh, go through life not praying and yet trusting that God will provide? Well, we could, but then we would be disobedient to what God has commanded, and we'd also be very lonely. See, God commands us to pray. Even here in verse 9, Jesus says, In this manner, therefore pray. And, and the verb pray is imperative. It's a, it's a command. But this command isn't from a harsh authoritarian ogre. It's a command from the God of perfect love. God's command to pray is a command rooted in His abundant grace and mercy. God commands us to pray so that He might bless us with His presence. And again, enrich our relationship with Him. God commands us to pray because He is a personal God and He desires to have that personal relationship with us. Now some believe that God is cold and distant and He he doesn't involve Himself in His creation or in the, the progress of human history. But this is a false notion void of any truth. God is relational. And He graciously wants to engage with us in a relationship. And so we pray because He commands us to pray. But another reason that God commands us to pray is because He wants us to realize and understand that He is the giver of every good and perfect gift. He wants us to see our own helplessness. He wants us to understand that we can't depend on others. We can't depend upon ourselves for our own provisions, but that we must always depend upon Him and Him alone. As mentioned before, prayer is the means or vehicle we use to engage God in communication and relationship. And so if we neglect prayer, well then we'll get very lonely also very quickly. There'll be an emptiness and a void as if we're missing our best friend, only something much bigger and better than a best friend. There certainly are stories about, for example, prisoners of war, believers in Christ who are imprisoned and they're isolated and they're maybe put in solitary confinement. And and of course that solitary confinement is meant to, to break them. And of course for many, it actually works. Because they have no one to talk to. But there are accounts of those who survive this cruel punishment simply because they engage in the simple activity of prayer with the living God who comforts and provides for them during that dark and lonely time. And they believe that when they pray, that they're drawn near to God and He draws near to them, even in prison, even in chains. They recognize that they're not alone. And so God wants to be engaged in a true living an intimate, personal relationship with His people. And again, this is accomplished through prayer. Well, how should we pray? Lord's Prayer is the prayer that Jesus gave for His disciples to use as a model for their prayer. And so we find here a great deal of instruction on on how we are to pray, not just in the Lord's Prayer, but just in this surrounding passage as well. And so first look at verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, 
<coughs> for they love for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly I say to you, they have their reward. Now the instruction here is that prayer should not be hypocritical or showy. And here, of course, the hypocrites that Jesus is referring to are the scribes and the Pharisees who are known to, to publicly pray both in the synagogue and also on the street corners. Now, there's certainly nothing wrong with public corporate prayer. It certainly has its place even in the worship of God. But what the Pharisees were doing was different. The Pharisees were praying in public for show and for the selfish praise of men. They wanted people to think that they were especially holy men because they would stop in the street suddenly and then they would burst forth in prayer audibly so that everyone around them can hear and think, wow, this guy is truly holy. Well, Jesus calls them hypocrites because though they had this outward appearance of holiness and honored God with their lips publicly, well, their hearts were far, far away from him. But Jesus says they have their reward. The reward will be the public acclaim of men. But that's it. That's all they'll get and nothing more. When they die, their acclaim will die with them. So the clear lesson here is to not be hypocritical or showy in your prayers, but to be truly devoted to God in your hearts and also to humble in both your to be humble in both your approach to God and in your manner of prayer before others. And speaking of humility, look at verse six. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Prayer requires a petitioner to be humble. It's helpful to certainly have a <clears throat> a quiet place to pray, a, a secret place to pray. It's certainly to have um, a place where there are limited distractions, so that you can you can focus totally upon your relationship with God as you cry out to Him in prayer. We know that the, by the example of Jesus, He always sought a quiet place to go uh, to pray by Himself. But if you note, most often it was outside on the hillside or. Or in the garden. It wasn't in a closet in the house. And so it's important to consider the context of this verse as some would take this to mean that you can only pray in your closet with the door shut. Well, that isn't what Jesus is teaching here at all. But humility is the emphasis here when held in comparison to the hypocritical and showy public prayer of the Pharisees in verse 5. In Luke 18, <clears throat> Jesus speaks to the Pharisee who comes to the temple to pray. And in his prayer, he, he boasts loudly, audibly, that he's not like, not like this tax collector who's standing next to him, who's also praying. But Jesus then contrasts the prayer of the Pharisee with the humility that God desires in the tax collector. Luke 18.13, the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And so approaching God with humility and prayer is what he desires, as humility was strengthened 
our dependence upon God alone. But there's a bit of a paradox or a, or a tension here. Though we're to come to God in prayer in all humility, the Scriptures also call us to come to Him boldly and with great confidence. Hebrews 4, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we're to come to God with fear and trembling, because He is perfectly holy and we're not. And yet, because of the sure confidence we have in our great High Priest, Jesus Christ and His perfect holiness, we can also come with boldness, even to the very throne of God's grace, to receive mercy and grace from His hand. And so we're to come humbly, yet with confidence. Again, it seems like a contradiction, but it it fits in well as we understand it. We come to God humbly, but with great confidence. But the confidence isn't in us. The boldness isn't because of us and how great and wonderful we are. It's in Christ. And so, boldness. Well, another attitude or manner with which we should approach prayer <coughs> is the presence of faith in the one praying. James gives us this instruction, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For then let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Having faith means to stand firm in God's promises. Not wavering, but trusting in God's sovereignty. Believing that God will accomplish His most holy will. That God will be glorified in all things. And that He'll never leave nor forsake those who are His. If you doubt, and are just praying to to take a shot in the dark not knowing if your prayer is going to be heard, well then you shouldn't expect to receive an answer. Of course it's possible God, who is rich in mercy, may choose to answer your prayer despite your lack of faith. But as James says, you should not expect an answer if you pray with doubts. And so faith is essential. If you don't have faith in God and His ability to answer prayer, then your prayer will just be a shallow ritual. And so we should approach God in prayer with faith and both humility and boldness. But what about content? What should our prayers actually say? Well, the prayer that Jesus teaches His disciples isn't just a form. Though again, there's nothing wrong with reciting this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. It is Scripture. But it's really more of a model or a structure for us to follow. And we see this in verse 9 as Jesus says, pray in this way or, or in this manner, in this, in this type of way. So as we consider the Lord's Prayer as a model prayer, we find here many of the elements of the acronym ACTS. A-C-T-S, and if you ever heard that in regards to prayer, it's a way to, a form kind of to follow to help us, what do we include in our prayers? And so Acts, the A stands for adoration. In verse 9, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so we pray to God our Father in heaven. And again, note the relationship emphasis. He's our Father, and we're His children because of what Christ has done for us. 
beginning our prayers this way, we acknowledge that God is over us, that He is to be respected, that He's to be honored and revered. And there's hallowed be your name. To hallow something is to make it holy, to consecrate it or set it apart. God is holy and it's to be revered as holy. And as we come to Him in prayer, we must recognize this and and hallow or set apart His name as holy. And we do this by lifting Him up and praising Him for who He is and what He's done. Note also how the prayer ends in exaltation and adoration as well. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That is, to God alone belongs all glory, all power, or authority, and the dominion over all creation, both now and forever. And so we're to praise and adore God in our prayers. Well, the C of that acronym refers to confession. In verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now we can't expect to stand before a holy God if we're covered with the filth of sin. We must repent and confess to God our sin, seeking His forgiveness and His cleansing that it brings. Again, 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It also hear how Jesus adds somewhat of a qualification. And if we expect God to forgive us of our sins... Well, then we must also forgive those who have sinned against us. Jesus emphasizes this again in verses 14 and 15. If you want to be forgiven, you must be willing to forgive. If you desire to draw near to God and seek forgiveness, you must forgive others. Well, next we have the T, which stands for Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is close to adoration, and sometimes they're conflated. Though it's not as explicit here, we find it in many other passages that speak of giving thanks to God in all things. But certainly, God should be thanked for what He has accomplished for us. And of course, we can never over-thank God. In verse 10, He says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This actually gives us the reason and the basis for which we can thank God. It's that His kingdom will come and His will be done. These are already evident in heaven and they'll be revealed also on earth. When we pray and acknowledge God's will in all things, we're thankful that His His perfect will is able to make all things work out for the good of those who love Him and have been called by Him. Praying that things will be done according to God's will isn't a a cop-out or a show of a lack of faith, as surprisingly some believe. But to pray that all things be done according to God's will is actually how we thank God and acknowledge His sovereignty because we know that everything will be done according to His will. It gives us confidence in our prayers, and so we give thanks to God in prayer, and we do this by praying all things in accordance with His will. And then finally, there's the S, the supplication. Supplication is making our requests known to God. And this is usually what we never have a problem with. right? We never have a problem with coming up with supplications. We can always easily think of needs that we have or, or needs that others have to lift up to God in prayer. 
But the point is, God does want us to ask Him for things. He does want us to lay before Him our burdens and our concerns. For basic needs, as we see in verse 11, even praying God and asking for daily bread. There's the prayer of intercession on behalf of the sick and needy. Maybe prayer for the lost. And also we're to pray for deliverance from sin and temptation for ourselves. Verse 13, literally it's, do not allow us to be led into temptation. Would it be that we wouldn't have to face temptation at all? But God does allow us to be tempted to go through trials and suffering so that we might grow in our faith and our dependence upon Him. We also know that though He allows us to be tempted, He has given us a way out. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with that temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. So if we plead for God's help and rely upon the promises of His Word, we will be delivered from the evil one. So adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. This is how Christ has taught His disciples to pray. Brothers and sisters, we can praise God that He has given us this wonderful gift of prayer, the the means by which we can communicate with our sovereign God and, and draw near to Him in close personal fellowship, even as He desires. We must come boldly in faith before the throne of grace, but also with great humility, acknowledging all that we have has been given to us by Him. We should be challenged to pray fervently, for His will to be accomplished in all things. Whatever it is in regards to the sick, the needy, our nation and leaders, the lost, or the spread of this gospel, prayer rooted in God's Word will help to form and fashion us into the likeness of His Son, Jesus Christ, who of course gave us this example of obedience and submission in His prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. When He prayed, Lord, let this cup pass but then he submitted himself to the will of God. Not what I will, but thy will be done. Beloved of God, let's get back to the basics of prayer that we may even, and that we may ever glorify our God through our prayers. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks for the reminder that we have been given of the great gift of prayer and how you desire to have this relationship with us and that you've given us this means to communicate to you, to express our needs and concerns, to express our dependence upon you, that we cry out to you in prayer and we can be confident because of our faith in Christ Jesus and what Jesus has done. We can be confident that you will not only hear our prayers, but you will answer them according to your most holy and perfect will. And so we pray, Father, that you would help us to be better prayers, that we would be prayer warriors who look to you constantly, seeking your wisdom and your guidance, that we might truly be faithful witnesses to those around us, 
not in a public, in a, in a showy way of hypocrisy, but that we would seek you out in prayer diligently and that the fruit of that would be evident in our lives and to those around us, drawing them closer to yourself, even as you would draw us closer to yourself through this gift of prayer. And so we just praise you and thank you, O Lord, for this glorious gift you have given. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.